Morning, everybody, and welcome to this morning. My name is Bates. We're going to start this morning with a little bit of trivia. And so here it is. What do Oprah and Larry King have in common? Now, besides, of course, being two of the most famous interviewers of all time, uh, they also answered this question the same way. If you could interview one person, who would it be? And they both said, without a doubt, it would be Jesus. And so I want to start with a warning this morning. While Oprah and Larry King are very good interviewers and they're good at putting the interviewee on the spot in the hot seat, um, when it comes to Jesus, he's good at turning the tables around. And we'll see this morning uh, that he does that in his interaction with Nicodemus. But the warning to you is that he doesn't just do it with Nicodemus, but he does it to us, the reader, the viewer, the listener this morning. He's going to be putting us on the hot seat as we have a look in there and get a window into this interaction between Jesus and Nicodemus one night. Have you ever heard the term born again? Uh, I'm sure many of us have and we have some other connotations attached to it. And now uh, I asked a whole bunch of people this week, what's the first thing that comes to mind when they hear the term born again? And heard back uh, many different things and views that come to mind. Um, one that I think of was quite funny, I thought. A friend replied and said her brother, when he was in university, was in a dormitory. And a whole lot of the dormitory friends were not particularly fond of Christians. And so they posted a poster on the door, front door of the dormitory that said, we were born okay the first time. Uh, now what pops to my mind when I heard that uh, term for the first time is seeing my 35-week pregnant wife and thinking, how on earth could I tuck myself into a tight enough ball to be surgically placed back into my mom's womb in order to be born again? <laughs> And um, we'll see this morning that that's some of Nicodemus's first thoughts when he hears Jesus sharing this term with him. And so this morning I hope to um, unpack and explain some of what this term means, born again. And hopefully we can discover some of its beauty uh, again or for the first time. Uh, now you might be a Christ follower listening in this morning and you've been a born again Christian for years. And um, this term's kind of just become like another word, almost like the word apple, you know, it's just a word we use. Um, but I want to just encourage you to listen in and kind of rediscover the beauty of this concept, this term uh, to be born again and uh, kind of rediscover some of the joy of your salvation this morning. And so I really hope this will be a message that is helpful and inspiring for you. Before we read of this interaction in the Bible between Jesus and Nicodemus, it's always really helpful to get to know the characters who are involved in a dialogue before we dive in. Um, and so let's have a look at Nicodemus firstly. And we're going to read about him in John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. And so these verses tell us a number of things about this fellow Nicodemus. First thing, he was a fine man. Secondly, he was a Pharisee, which meant he was amongst one of the most devoted Jews of the time. Thirdly, he was respected in Israel, which means he was kind of part of the establishment of the time. Um, thirdly, he was a, a, one of Israel's teachers, which in modern terms would have meant he would have had a PhD in something like ethics and scripture. And then fourthly, he admired and respected Jesus, affirming both his teaching and his miraculous works. In other words, um, Nicodemus was as good a man as, as you can get. He was as good as good can be. Decent, moral, well-learned, respected, respectful, warm towards Jesus, obedient to the scriptures. Um, 
yeah, he was a good man. And so he came to Jesus. And what does he say when he comes to Jesus? He said, you're a good teacher. God's using you to do miracles. So far, so good. But at that moment, Jesus interrupts him. It doesn't seem to quite make sense at first, but it starts to make sense as we unpack it. In fact, the conversation uh, from there on goes something like this, and it follows in John chapter 3. But basically, Nicodemus says about 30 words. Jesus goes on to make an 18-word statement. Nicodemus says 20 words. Jesus amplifies his statement with 80 words. Nicodemus gets a final sentence in with four words, and then Jesus takes the rest of the evening to speak, and Nicodemus listens. Let's have a look in in, uh, John chapter 3, from verse 2 to verse 15. I'll read it for us. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. How can anyone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everybody born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You're Israel's teacher, Jesus said. And do you not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And so that's our interaction between Nicodemus and Jesus. And so what's Jesus' point here? Verse 7 outlines it for us very simply, you must be born again. Now I know I lost some of you there when I said the term born again. It's one of those kind of off-putting phrases. And so what comes into many people's minds when they think of this term born again is kind of one of two things predominantly. And there's many more, but these are kind of the two big categories that most of the thinking falls into. Uh, The first one is some people think of it as people who have kind of these real personal emotional problems, um, but now they've come to some kind of realization or kind of emotional experience in one of these churches, you know, and now they become these emotional fanatics. The second one is others who think people who've taken some kind of tight authoritarian moral structure on and they now live in the kind of black and white and they can't deal with the with the gray or like any shade of it you know and um, they come they kind of become all kind of judgmental for it and they've become these moral fanatics and so those are the kind of two categories to summarize when someone says that they are born again often people think they've become kind of emotionally and morally fanatical about God in this talk I want to show you that these are misconceptions Jesus means something so much more radical, so much more wonderful, so much more beautiful when he speaks of the term born again. And I want to do that in this talk under three headings. Firstly, who needs to be born again? 
Secondly, what does it mean to be born again? And thirdly, well then, how can we be born again? So let's start with who needs to be born again. While Jesus is pretty um, unapologetic and unambiguous in, in the scripture around who needs to be born again, in verse 3 he says, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Verse 7 he goes on to say, you must be born again. And this is the catch here. The you is in the plural, not the singular. So he's saying, you all need to be born again. You and you and you and me and all of us need to be born again. Everybody needs to be born again. Um, So who needs to be born again? Everyone is what Jesus is saying. And it seems in this story that Nicodemus doesn't get that. He thinks he's the last person in the world who needs to be born again. Perhaps his kind of drug addicted cousin or his enemy who's this kind of poor guy down in the dirt uh, or his brother who's just gone through a messy divorce. Maybe those guys need to be born, be born again, but surely not him. And um, Nicodemus is thinking exactly in line with those two misconceptions about this term we spoke about earlier, the emotional fanatic or the moral fanatic. Because uh, Nicodemus, he kind of doesn't fit those categories, right? He, he, In terms of the emotional fanatic, he was this businessman. He would have been a rational operator. He was quite a, po- a politician, probably largely not terribly emotional and not a very emotionally needy or broken guy yet Jesus says to him you must be born again which makes us realize that being born again cannot refer to becoming an emotional fanatic and secondly this guy already has all the moral structure in place that he needs he's a he's a Pharisee right they had 613 laws 365 of them being do nots and 248 of them being do's he doesn't need any more morality yet Jesus says to him you must be born again, which makes us realize that being born again cannot be referring to becoming a moral fanatic. Sometimes people say uh, kind of something like along the lines of she doesn't smoke, uh, she doesn't drink, she doesn't sleep around. She's a born again Christian. And everybody's like, oh, but no, Jesus Christ chooses a person here, Nicodemus, who doesn't smoke, who doesn't drink, who doesn't sleep around, who's absolutely impeccable in almost every way. And he says, You must be born again. I've got a real personal sense this morning that this message particularly uh, is for those who are feeling like you're okay. At this age and stage of life, it's fine. You're sorted. You don't really need help. In fact, you will help others and that's okay. And um, I really feel like this story about Nicodemus will speak specifically to you. So I just want to encourage you, if that is you, to really listen in this morning. So let me dig down a little bit deeper into Nicodemus. Did you notice in this interaction between Jesus and Nicodemus that Nicodemus never really showed a real uh, sense of need, of of personal need? And um, do you know what that is? Uh, That's a form of spiritual darkness, otherwise known as pride. It's a belief that I have it all and I'm sorted when in fact I'm missing the most important part. But the question is, is Nicodemus really in spiritual darkness? It doesn't seem that way. Um, But the text would say, absolutely, he is. And here are some clues. In the opening verse, specifically in verse 2, Nicodemus um, comes to Jesus at night. And now throughout John's gospel, coming to Jesus at night or at nighttime has a dual meaning. It means two things and it alludes strongly to spiritual darkness. And so there's the shroud of darkness over Nicodemus as he comes to interact with Jesus. This highly successful, intellectual, wealthy, powerful, connected, moral man is shrouded in spiritual darkness and he doesn't even know it. 
And then another clue from the text comes from verse 3, where Nicodemus uh, says to Jesus, he doesn't say, I know you're a teacher. He says, we know you're a teacher. And so he's coming on behalf of people, of an establishment, of the Sanhedrin, of the politically connected. And he's doing a bit of background politicking here. He's coming and he's kind of saying, Jesus, we know you're powerful. You can teach. You do amazing miracles. You've got some stuff to add. We've got some political power. Let's team together. Let's play ball. Let's be buddies and do some political shenanigans here. And Jesus sees it for exactly what it is. And he says, no. And that's why he interrupts him so abruptly in verse 3. And so the voice here that Nicodemus brings is that of the establishment, which was typically against Jesus in those days. And he's kind of coming to Jesus, trying to make a deal, saying, like, Jesus, we can help you, you know? And do you see the spiritual darkness in that? Coming to Jesus and saying, I think I can help you, when obviously what he really needs is help from Jesus. That's what we all really need. And so then back to our question uh, for this morning from that we've been looking at here is, who needs to be born again? And Jesus says, everyone needs to be born again. And so if Jesus says that, then this is obviously a crucial term and a crucial thing to understand and to take hold of, being born again. So we've seen who needs to be born again. Uh, now what about, what, is it, what does it mean to be born again? Point two I'm making here. Uh, the most helpful way, I think, to understand this term, born again, is to see it in its original language that was written, the Greek. And the word in the Greek here is something like onathan. And it has uh, more than one meaning. The one is again, the other is from above. And so here in this moment, Jesus is using uh, three terms kind of interchangeably. And they are this, to be born again, or to be born from above, or to be born of the Spirit. And I find that really just unpacks and helps me understand this term a lot better. So it's clearly not referring to human kind of just human physical birth at all. It's referring to a spiritual birth, a renewing, a being born from above, being born of the spirit of God. If we have a look at verse five, it says to we must be born of the water and the spirit. Now, what does that mean? Uh, the main clue for us here comes in verse 10, where Jesus implies that Nicodemus should know what this means, because he knows the Old Testament scriptures well, right? Um, and this then leads you to think, well, is there teaching in the Old Testament about being born of water and the Spirit? Um, and yes, there is in several places, and it's mostly prophetic. It's pointing forward to the time when Jesus would come. But I think this one is the most clear in Ezekiel chapter 36. And let me read it for us quickly. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols, and I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to follow my laws. In other words, being born of water and the Spirit refers to this cleansing, renewing implant of a new heart and a new spirit by the Spirit of God within us. In short, Jesus is saying to, um, to us and to Nicodemus, he's saying, I've come to fulfill these Old Testament prophecies. He is kind of urging us um, to reach out to him and to receive this promised new heart and to be born again. If we read on a little further in this text in verse 8, it says this, uh, Jesus connects the new birth to the blowing of the wind. And it says this in verse 8, The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. 
And so why does Jesus make that connection? Um, on that night where they were sitting there, as we saw in that movie clip, it would have been windy. As I sit here and, and preach to this camera, it's windy in the trees around me. The thing is, wind is unseen, but it's real. It has a life of its own. You do not necessarily see it, but you see its effect. You see how it plays out on other things and you can feel it. And in the same way, the new birth is unseen, but it's real. It has a life of its own. And though you cannot physically see it in yourself or in another person, yet you can experience it and you can observe it and its effects on your life and on others' lives. It's also worth noting in this analogy and maybe worth pondering that each person's experience of the new birth or being born again is quite different. Just like the wind's direction and intensity varies from day to day and from hour to hour. Some people experience the new birth as this kind of gentle breeze, in a way almost imperceptible, but you know it's there. Perhaps it's so gentle that you're not even exactly sure of the exact moment, or you weren't conscious of exactly when it happened that you were born again. For other people, it's like this gale, hurricane, force wind, and you know you'll never forget the moment when you were born again. And so for each of us, our experience of being born again is different. And if you're a Christ follower, I wonder what your experience was of being born again. And if you're still investigating faith and exploring, I'm curious as to wonder what your experience of being born again might be. And so the question we're answering in this section is, what does it mean to be born again? And so let me go back to those misconceptions of the term being born again. Uh, As I said, being born again is different from becoming an emotional fanatic. But let me clarify, there is some kind of emotion that comes as a byproduct of being born again. Throughout the Bible, human authors uh, kind of express a lot of emotion towards God when they're writing about God and when they're just praising God and so excited about God, they're expressing a lot of emotion. But it's not a fleeting emotion. It's an emotion that lasts Forever, just like we get a new heart when we're born again, that's an eternal heart that will never stop beating, like our physical heart will. These emotions don't just go away, they're not flaky, they're built on the eternal one in whom we are glorifying, that is God. And then secondly, being born again is different from becoming morally fanatical, but to clarify, there will be some kind of moral change that comes as a byproduct of being born again. One of the authors of the Bible, a guy called Peter, uh, compares being born again to that of the seed of God being planted into the life of a person. And that seed over time grows and it starts to bear fruit in line with whatever seed was sown. And so being born again will ultimately result in behavior and moral change over time. This moral change means you're the same person But in another way, you're a brand new person. Your temperament and your personality type don't usually change. Your body still looks the same, but something deep down inside starts to change. Your very orientation to the world, your very identity starts to change. So let's remind ourselves this morning, what was the first question we asked? It was, who needs to be born again? And and Jesus emphatically said, we all need to be born again. And here we've looked at what does it mean to be born again? And it means to be born from above, to be born from the Spirit of God. It's a new birth into a new life as a child of God. Uh, That begs the question, how then can we be born again? And let's have a quick look at verse 6. What does Jesus mean by flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit? 
Well, flesh gives birth to flesh refers to our physical life that is ours through physical birth. Uh, spirit gives birth to spirit would refer to our spiritual life or our new nature that is given to us when we are born of the Spirit of God, when we are born again, born from above. And so my question is to you is, how many of you chose to be born in the first place? That's right, none of us chose to be born in the first place. That was the decision of our parents. And it's similar with spiritual rebirth. Uh, we're born from above as a result of, of a choice and an action from God's front. You see, being born of God, being born again, is not something you do. It's not something I do. It's something God does to us. That said, though, Jesus does command us here in verse 7, which is kind of one of our key verses for this morning. He says, you, you all, must be born again. Which implies that we should all see our need for it and, and gravitate and move towards it. And so what do we have to do to be born again? Uh, there's some clues in the text here this morning. The first one is Jesus' change of subject between verse 2 and verse 3. Nicodemus comes to him in verse 2 and says, Rabbi or teacher, we know you are a teacher. We know you, a teacher, come from God. And Jesus suddenly seems to change the topic and says, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. I know when I first read that, I thought, why is Jesus suddenly changing the, the subject like this? It's like he's, what's he going on about? Nicodemus says, you're essentially a teacher. And Jesus, for the whole rest of the passage, is really saying, if you believe that, you can never be born again, Nicodemus. You have to break out of the teacher paradigm and into a whole new way of thinking. And Jesus would say the same thing to us this morning. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors and a guy who is quoted much in the Alpha series, which we are busy uh, going through as a church, says this incredible quote, which reminds me of this point. He says this, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That's the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a moral teacher and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of the man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. And so the first clue is here, we have to break out of that moral teacher mindset and realize that Jesus is so much more than that. The second clue comes from verse 14 and 15, and I'm going to spend a little bit of time here. Now, up until these two verses, Jesus has only insisted on Nicodemus's ignorance and need for the new birth or to be born again. He has not told him how to receive the new birth yet. Now he finally does in verse 14 and 15. And let me read them quickly again for us. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And so Jesus here is reminding Nicodemus of this kind of curious incident that happened in 1300 BC in, the, in a story in the book in the Bible called Numbers, and it's in chapter 21 of the book of Numbers. 
uh, in this uh, story, God's people, the Israelites, uh, they'd sinned and God's judgment came in the form of snakes moving, slithering around in their camp and biting the people and they would slowly die. Bit of a curious incident, I know, but it really happened. The Bible's crazy with the kind of stories it has. It's awesome. But in the story, God provides this bronze pole that looks like a snake to be lifted up in the camp. And they literally planted it sort of in the middle of the camp. And if dying people who had been bitten by snakes just looked at that bronze pole, they would be forgiven and healed. And Jesus here claims to be like that bronze snake for the healing and forgiveness of people. Huh? You may be thinking. But, but if you think about it, there's a whole lot of parables that are striking. See what I did there? Firstly, the story speaks of the consequences of sin being death. And now like the Israelites, all of us have sinned against God and are under God's judgment as a result. And maybe some of us are more like Nicodemus's drug-addicted cousin and we've sinned in obvious ways. And maybe some of us are more like Nicodemus and we're quite moral and upright. And maybe pride, which is quite hidden, is our main form of sin. But all of us, no matter who we are, are born under spiritual darkness and it hangs over us. Another parallel here is that the story speaks of how God's dealing with our sin and death is to take the sin and death upon himself. Jesus speaks here of being lifted up like that snake. And and now what does he mean there? Jesus is referring to his future death on the cross. He hadn't died yet. Later he would. In fact, later in John chapter 12, he says this, When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. And then John goes on to comment, he said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. And so in the same way that the bronze snake was lifted up in the camp of the Israelites as kind of a symbol of God's punishment on Israel, so the cross of Jesus Christ is a symbol, not just of God's grace, but also of his punishment on the world's sin. The seriousness of the cross persuades us that sin is serious. Our sin is serious. God took our sin and put it on Jesus on the cross and punished it there. A last parallel to this story, this curious incident of the bronze snake being lifted up in the camp back in Numbers, is that the story speaks of the forgiveness and the life that God gives those who look to him as a means of salvation. And so in the same way that faith in God's provision of the bronze snake brought forgiveness and life to the Israelites, so faith in God's provision of Jesus on the cross brings forgiveness and life to us if we'll trust in him. Look to Jesus who lived the life you should have lived and died the death you should have died and lived. These are some of the parallels that Jesus was alluding to when he brought up the story with Nicodemus. And so what's Jesus saying to Nicodemus? He's saying something like this. You say I've come to teach you, Nicodemus, but I've come to save you. You think you need more teaching. You need a whole new life, not just new teaching. Your teacher paradigm has to be broken down. I'm not just kind of some example and helper and teacher. I'm not kind of just this true religion that's basically about teaching and then trying your best to get it right and then hoping God will show him you his favor. Nicodemus, as long as you believe that, you cannot be born again. What Jesus is saying. You have to break out of that teacher paradigm and see things in a whole new way. I'm the Son of God. I'm Jesus. I've come to save you from sin and death and eternal punishment. Look to me and be saved. 
just like those Israelites looked to the bronze snake in the camp many years ago. Nicodemus, you need to be born again. Me, you, you need to be born again. Wow, somehow the cross is a kind of birth. In our natural birth, our mother does everything. She bleeds, she suffers, and we are born. In our spiritual rebirth, Jesus does everything at the cross. He suffers, he bleeds, and we are reborn when we trust in him. When we look to him on that cross and we trust in him, he proverbially draws the poison out and we are given a new heart and we are reborn. And so the final question for this morning is, was Nicodemus born again on that stormy night as he had an interaction with Jesus? Apparently not. Uh, But later there are two other interactions in the Gospel of John and it appears that uh, Nicodemus did come to Christ and did become a follower of Jesus a little bit later on in his life. And so let me pull this all together this morning. Nicodemus got in the hot seat with Jesus uh, this morning and, and eventually his life was changed for it. And this morning we all got into the hot seat in front of Jesus through the lens of the story. And so this morning it comes clear, I think, to all of us that we're in one of three places spiritually. The first one is we might be like Nicodemus before he met Jesus. Some of us might think that we're fine, we're okay, we've got it sorted, life's sharp, it's okay, we don't need help, it's all good. And I need to say, perhaps a little bit harshly this morning, that spiritual darkness hangs over your life, if that's you this morning. But I want to encourage you to look again to Jesus and consider him afresh and anew. The second group of people might be like Nicodemus after he met Jesus. And uh, some of us might not be quite yet there, but we, we're thinking about Jesus. We're considering him. We're investigating him. We're exploring him. Uh, there's light in the sky, but the sun hasn't yet quite risen. And, and if that's you, I want to encourage you to keep seeking, keep exploring, keep journeying with us in this sermon series as we look at Jesus in real life. Or join us on the Alpha course that we're currently busy with as a church as we explore Jesus and who he is and his claims. And then thirdly, Um, Like Nicodemus, after he saw Jesus being lifted high on the cross, some of us have had our eyes open to Jesus as the Savior, not just the teacher, but the Savior, the Son of God, the one who came to give us new life. And uh, we've received this new life. We've been born again. And what more reason, all the more reason we have to say, praise you, God, our Lord Jesus. You've given us a new birth into a living hope. And if that's you this morning, I want to encourage you to keep praising him, to keep thanking him for this wonderful new birth that you have. We keep rejoicing in the joy of your salvation. And so as I close this morning, I want to ask you the question, which one of those three people are you? Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross and rose again in order that we could have new life in order that we could be children of God. I pray this morning, as everyone's been listening, um, that you would have reached out and touched each person differently and spoken in unique ways to each of us. Just like the wind blows, you would have spoken differently to each of us. And I pray, Lord Jesus, specifically for those who feel like they're in a position where everything's okay at this age and stage of life, it's all fine, I don't need help. Jesus, would you come and speak specifically to anyone who feels they're in that position? 
I pray, Jesus, as each person continues to explore who you are and push more into seeking you, I pray that it would be such a rewarding, life-giving experience and that you would come and bring eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen.